Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey everybody, this is See It To Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger and I'm the host of See It To Be It. When I was growing up in rural Southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. In most cases, I didn't even know those jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Monica Brunash. She is a vendor relationship manager with Bank of America, a huge, huge corporation, and she has so much insight to share with you. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I'm back again in collaboration with Living Corporate to bring you another career tip. This week, I want to talk to you about why you need more than just a resume. When many of us are looking to make moves in our career, we typically focus on getting our resume together. And while that's a great first step, I want to tell you why you have to go further than just that document. When you apply online, about 70% of companies and organizations use applicant tracking software, which is a system with a series of algorithms that scans your resume for keywords and phrases. If you meet the minimum threshold the employer set, then and only then will your resume be seen by a human. But unfortunately, these systems discard around 75% of people who apply. Studies show that when you apply online in the United States, you have anywhere from about a 2 to 5% chance of landing the role, depending on the source you read. If that's the case, why is applying online the only focus of many of our job searches? Your highest chance of landing a role lies with the referrals. When I say referrals, I'm not just talking about from the network you currently have, but from people who are in the industry and a step or two above where you want to go. But you can't start building that network until you have a decent LinkedIn profile. This one allows you to do some internet stalking without looking like the weird person without a photo. Two, lets the people you are reaching out to know you're serious about where you want to go. And three, gets relevant recruiters looking at your profile. Beyond resumes, LinkedIn's, and referrals, you also have to be able to sell yourself when you get to the interview. This preparation allows you to create questions to better understand the role and the organization, which impresses many hiring managers and recruiters. 
When you prepare properly, you feel more in control and you will appear cool and calm to your prospective employer as a result. This is also your opportunity to convey the value you can bring to the role, but you can only do so if you are clear on what you have to offer. While technology has made certain portions of your job search easier, it has also significantly increased your competition and thereby your ability to stand out. That means that we have to go beyond simply applying online. We have to do something that gets us noticed and only relying on your resume is not enough. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Layfield Resume or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes Podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes Podcast center the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset, and building a healthy, racial identity check out liberated love notes podcast wherever you listen to podcasts hosted by Brittany Janae Harris welcome back to see it to be it my guest today is Monica Brunash Monica is a strategic people leader with expertise in talent strategies and employee development analyzing employee data to provide recommendations, addressing operational excellence opportunities, and leading organizational initiatives. She's a servant leader who plans employee experience programs and collaborates with cross-functional global executives to define and address future business needs. In her most recent role, she's responsible for managing a preferred vendor, their book of work, and establishing critical relationships to ensure successful execution of learning solutions. And I am so glad to have her on the show. Welcome, Monica. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me today. So Monica and I actually met on LinkedIn. So sometimes these are folks, I interview folks that I've known for a while, and sometimes it's people who are brand new to me and usually brand new to my audience. And that's the case today. So I'm really grateful to have you here and uh, to welcome you on what I understand is your very first podcast interview. Yes, that's correct. It's okay. I promise to be gentle. So let's talk about, you know, your job is really complex and, and very specific. Can we go back to, to the start of your career? What did you intend to do? I'm guessing it wasn't anything this complex and specific. No, not at all. So Bank of America actually ended up being my first uh, corporate America job after college. And I really stumbled into financial services as well as Bank of America. Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I know the things that I liked. So I knew that I liked research. I was very analytical. I liked interacting with people. Um, I even attempted to apply for customer service jobs, but nobody wanted to hire me. And I'm like, thank you for not hiring me for that. Um, <laughs> and I really came across this one role that had an emphasis on research. So I thought, oh, okay, research, analytics, this sounds great, but this is one of those uh, cases where job description fail happened, where you see, you see a generic description and you think it's one thing, and then when you get in, 
you're like, oh, okay, this is what it's really about. Uh, so that's how I actually ended up stumbling into the financial industry. And obviously I've still been here. And the reason why I'm still here is because to me, financial health is wealth. And it's also peace of mind, which is priceless. And I know that wealth means different things to different people. But for me, it's a goal of financial independence and improving generational wealth. So that's how I ended up in the financial services industry. I think that is fantastic. And, you know, the financial services industry, I worked in insurance for a while, and it's sort of a subset of that, of that overarching uh, uh, umbrella. But you know, it's, it's traditionally been very male dominated, very white spaces, very um, exclusive. A lot of times the policies are, um, you know, unequal and inequitable. Um, and so I always am excited when I see people who have been historically excluded from the upper echelons of those industries, um, breaking in and making an impact and making a difference. So you mentioned that you had, um, you know, kind of read a job description that didn't quite match up to what the job was. And, you know, I think that's true for a lot of people, right? Because they look at financial services and they think, oh, you either like count money all day or you process loan applications. What does a day in your job actually look like? So I'm really glad that you brought that up because as you were talking, I was thinking back to my interview. Um, so we haven't shared, I, from a from a bachelor's perspective, uh, graduated from UNC Chapel Hill and my major is in sociology. So someone would kind of think, wait, sociology, Bank of America, how does that work together? And that was actually one of the questions that happened to be posed to me in my first interview in terms of what do you think that you can bring to the bank with having this type of major? And the response I shared is that at the end of the day, even though we're working with numbers and we're working with dollars, people are making decisions and people are doing the work and you need people that know how to work with people. Um, so that's kind of the thought and mindset that I have in regards to any industry really, that even if you might not be an expert in what that company is out there for, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a place for you within it. Because Bank of America is a huge company. If you're interested in technology, if you have an interest in HR, if you have an interest in audit, if you have an interest in ESG, environmental, social governance, they have all these different types of teams and roles where it can actually fit your needs. And I think that's why it's so helpful. I'm always big going back to that word research. I'm always big on research in terms of start with what you know. What companies do you buy things from? Um, what companies do you patron at? Look up those companies, see what they're about, see what type of roles that they have available. And you never know, you really can easily find something where, wow, I never knew that I could do this at X, Y, and Z company. I want to thank you for saying that because every single one of these interviews, well, maybe not everyone, but almost all of them, I'm like, I never thought about you could do that kind of work at that kind of company. But every kind of company needs almost every kind of work, right? Like, yes. it, it's <laughs> like, I always think about, you know, people who are environmental science go to work for environmental companies or people who are finance majors go to work for finance companies, but that's just not the way it is. It's, it's kind of a whole bunch of different fields and disciplines converging into a mission that's focused in a particular area, right? 
Right. I completely agree because the time that I've been at Bank of America, I started off in global tech and ops. Again, nothing on paper that would have anything to do with sociology. But at the end of the day, the interactions with people, my analytical skills, my project management skills, all of those play a part in helping making the business successful. And even within that space, I've been able and had the opportunity to work on employee engagement initiatives, employee experience initiatives, DNI programs, all of those things. Again, global tech and ops, you wouldn't think that someone would be working on those type of things, but that's what I did in addition to my day job. That is awesome. And so let's talk just a little bit about the day job. What is it? What, what do you do? So currently, as you shared, vendor performance manager for preferred vendors. So essentially, I am the liaison between our lines of businesses and the preferred vendors in terms of closing that gap that we have in terms of, hey, we have this regulatory or enterprise training that we're trying to get out to our employees. So let's work with our preferred vendor to execute on that training and make sure that employees have the development that they need to succeed and excel in their roles. So that's putting it very nicely in a bow for you. I appreciate that. So so basically you translate between what do the employees need to know how are, and what do they need to learn to make a change, to enact a new policy, to sell a new product. Am I getting this right? And then you work with vendors to deliver that training? I luckily have the honor of brokering those relationships. Okay, you don't have to figure it out. So (laughs) sometimes uh, the preferred vendor will be the ones where they'll take that content, they'll take the change, they'll take the update to a regulation, and they will then pull together that training and so that the employees have the awareness of what they need to know to perform their jobs accurately. Got it. Okay. So, and I would imagine in banking, there are a lot of regulations that need to be followed in every part of the company from things like privacy concerns and, you know, cybersecurity threats, all the way down to what kind of interest rates you can charge and how you have to disclose those things. Right. And everything from ADA to even things in terms of just process changes, because when there's a new process or there's new technology, there's training that needs to be had so that employees know how to do their job effectively. And so for people who don't know how big Bank of America is, how many employees are we talking about? Over 200,000. Oh my goodness. And how many training vendors do you work with? I don't know if I could share that part, but we do oh, okay. work We do work with multiple <laughs> vendors. Okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to ask anything that you're not supposed to tell me, but I was just curious, like, that's a lot. That's a ton of employees. That's, and so many different product and service lines. I, I, I'm so amazed that and I know you rely on a lot of systems to do that, but to keep all of that straight so that you can broker those relationships is huge. Um, so how do you then, you know, as you're doing this work, where do you go for community? Do you find community within Bank of America? Yes. So in terms of community, I'm glad that you bring that up because one of the things that I think Bank of America does a really great job of is with 
their employee networks, which I know other companies uh, refer to as employee resource groups. So at Bank of America, we have 11 employee networks. And in the market that I sit in, we actually have six of those 11 employee networks. And I advise our local employee networks and we work with our market president's office in terms of not only designing and creating programming for our employees in the market, but also in the community with the people that we serve. So that is one of the biggest places where it helps to bring fulfillment into my work, knowing that I'm helping my peers and colleagues and other employees, as well as helping the community in which I also sit in. Yeah, I think a lot of folks don't realize, especially if they've not worked for these big, big companies, that there are so many ways to get involved as sort of an internal volunteer that you can you can kind of find your, you know, your peer group, your your people that have, you know, similar backgrounds or similar interests, you know, some companies, you know, even have, um, you know, they might have young professionals groups, they've got, um, you know, women's groups, they've got the black employee networks, those kinds of things that, that you can kind of float in and out of, not just as an individual that, it, that aligns with those groups and those identities, but as an ally or just as somebody who wants to get more involved and learn. And a lot of times people in smaller companies don't have that. They look for associations and other ways to get involved in their industries. But at a big company like B of A, you know, you're basically a microcosm of the whole world when you're talking about, you know, a couple hundred thousand employees. So I would think that while there's a lot of opportunity to get connected, it might also at times feel like it's so big you get lost. Yes. So Bank of America is big, but I think that's why it's so important to have those employee networks or there's even lines of business type programs and development opportunities where you're able to get on those more closer levels and really interact and network with others. And for me, that has helped immensely in terms of my trajectory at Bank of America. I know that I can't attribute that in my progress in terms of the work that I've done with my market leaders, with employee networks, because through employee networks, that's how I met other people outside of my immediate team. Um, because I think that's, no matter what size your organization is, if you don't network with people outside of your immediate team, it's going to be really hard to move to different areas or just move into a different role because if people don't know you, they don't see you. And if they don't see you, then it's hard for them to see how you fit in their team. What you just said is so important. I, I do a lot of training on networking. I talk to people, you know, all over the world about building their networks. And it's interesting because I'll say, you know, how connected, you know, have this assessment that I do with folks. And when I ask them, how many people in your top five are outside of your own industry? And usually it's people with longer tenures that have lower numbers, right? Very few people outside of my industry. And I've even gone so far as to say, well, how many of them are outside of your own company or your own department? And a lot of times those numbers are still really low. Well, if you're looking for opportunity, if you're looking to grow in your career, there may be one spot in your department or your line of business that's a good fit, but across the company, there may be 50. If you never get outside of your little bubble, you never know about the other 49, right? Exactly. 
And so it's, and you know, reorgs happen to big companies a lot too. So sometimes whole departments are kind of absorbed into other groups or dissolved. I mean, we hate to say that, but it happens. And, you know, if you and all your, all the people that you are close to are out of a job, it's hard for them to help you and it's hard for you to help them. So it, I just think it's so important that people don't lose sight of that, that even though you're in a big company, you still need to branch out. I completely agree. And that's how I was able to make the transition from global tech and ops into human resources, because I tried for a long time to make that transition. But sometimes it's really difficult for people to see and understand transferable skills, which I'm sure is something that you've talked about um, a lot of time with people that you converse with in terms of uh, having that advocate that sits in the space that you're trying to get into where they can literally say, hey, I know her title might say X, Y, and Z, and you might think that it means X, but actually it means Q-U-I and one, two, three, and having someone there to help you translate those skill sets to where it makes sense to the line of business or the different area that you're trying to get into is really crucial. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people are so hung up on their job title that they they box themselves in or worse, they box other people in based on a job title. And I've seen that go both ways. Um. (laughs) And let me just say that, say this job titles are totally made up, right? Somebody somewhere in HR made up your job title. And so you can kind of make up your own job title when you're applying or when you're moving around, right? It doesn't have to be this was my, you know, I wasn't, you know, manager SISQ54321, right? I was manager of, you know, global technology systems, right? It doesn't have to be exactly what was on your paycheck to be accurate and true, right? Right. And that kind of goes back to the job description that I I mentioned before, where you have, and I get it, it makes sense in terms of for ease um, from an HR perspective and a database perspective and the behind the scenes perspective with levels and pay and all the other fun stuff that goes along with that. But at the same time, it can also cause confusion when you have similar job descriptions or job titles for multiple different roles. You can have, I've seen it where a whole team or department can have the same type of role, but they literally have 20 different processes and 20 different subsets of roles. But from someone looking from the outside in, they would think that they all do the same thing and that's not actually the case. So when I'm talking with people and I'm mentoring people, I say, Definitely make sure that you're being honest in terms of your role, but there's nothing wrong with if your role title is really generic and doesn't explain what you do, then add that parentheses where it literally says, hey, even though my job title says X, Y, and Z, I actually was a quality manager. Um, So focus on that since people when people are looking at resumes, I'm sure as you know, they're only taking quick looks. They're not really digging deep in terms of, okay, this says X, but it could mean X, Y, and Z. Um, So I think helping people to see that by adding those descriptors with your title helps a lot. Absolutely. And you know what, especially as you're moving around in different divisions, those job titles may have been, uh, 
they may have been created and they may have evolved completely separately. And so what means something in one place doesn't mean the same thing in another place, or they're completely different. Nobody knows what that means. Exactly. And, you know, and I just, I feel like people get very caught up in these things because we, we tend to focus so narrowly on the work that we're doing and that next step. And we just need to broaden our thinking a little bit. Like you said, think about what are the transferable skills? What are my real responsibilities? And, and who do I know that can help me navigate that um, in the company is, is so important. Completely agree. I think the other thing that's important, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but these employee networks you alluded to, you know, it's a way to be seen outside of traditional channels. Used to be the way you got seen was you played golf with the boss, right? <laughs> and right. that doesn't work so well for everyone. So can you talk a little bit about the opportunities and the exposure you've had doing work with the employee networks? Yeah, so a uh, really good point. And a point that I also make, those golf outings are still happening. But um, <laughs> not, but I do agree and think that with employee networks, it's such a great opportunity to be able to do things that you might not be able to do in your current role. Um, because especially if you're trying to get to a different area where there are skill sets that you need to learn and have and apply, but you're not able to do so in your current role. I see employee networks as a way to get those skill sets that you're not able to get. So if you're missing leadership, if you're missing um, presentation skills, if you're missing um, doing budgets and communications, um, event planning, program management, if you're not able to get those skill sets in a role, and I'm, and I'm thinking about, especially for the people that have high production type roles, that's really difficult to get some of these other skill sets that they might be looking for with that next position that they're aiming for in their day job. So utilizing an employee network where there's flexibility about the vast amount of roles, because I really see employee networks as their own business. It's just that their focus isn't necessarily on dollars or checking accounts and savings accounts. Their goal is on DNI. Their goal is on making sure that your workplace is the best place to work and that people feel as though they can bring their whole selves to work um, and help the company and again, help the community in terms of which they serve. So for me personally, the way that I've interacted with employee networks is First, I started off with just being a member and attending events and networking with people at those events. Then I took it to the next stage where I joined a committee and then we worked on programming for employees. And then from there, I moved into creating our employee network council that we have in my market and pulling together all of the employee networks because even though each employee network has their own goals, at the end of the day, the, the joint goal is the betterment of employees in our communities. So with that, we have common goals and we have common threads. So let's work together and collaborate where it makes sense. And then also let's unify to have one voice for as things come up, as there's issues that come up, we can work together to address it. Because when you have more people sitting around the table, you're more likely to be able to advance and, and everyone will end up winning because the more diverse thoughts that you have, uh, the better that we can become overall. 
Yeah. And I'm going to add to what you said about you get to do all these things in these employee networks. You also get to put them on your resume, right? which you may not have been able to do before. And now you've got more internal references who have seen you do these things, who can vouch for you. Um, it brings extra credibility as well. Yes, I've definitely seen directly situations where employees, because they were participating and leading employee network events and programs, that that literally helped them to find their next hiring manager, find their next manager. And that's how they got their role because that hiring manager saw what they were doing, saw those skill sets and thought this would be a great fit on my team. So I've, I've definitely seen how being and participating actively in an employee network can really help set the groundwork for that next stage. Thank you so much for that. So I'm just curious, you were talking earlier about transferable skills from global tech ops to HR. Can you talk a little bit about some of the transferable skills that you would look for as a hiring manager that maybe somebody doesn't think about that they've cultivated or developed, but that are really valuable in the kind of work that you do? For me, I think soft skills are a silent um, key disruptor that I think that people are starting to become more aware of. And, and people know about soft skills, but more so in terms of the importance of soft skills, because when it comes to certain things, you can train somebody to learn a system, learn a process, but soft skills takes a little bit more nuance, takes a little bit more care in terms of really getting that right. So for me, and when I'm working with people or when I'm thinking about, okay, I want this person to be on my team from working from an employee network perspective, I think about the soft skills. Is this person a critical thinker? How do they react to hitting a brick wall? Because we will hit that a lot um, in terms of, people not being on the same page or them not having the awareness. Um, how, how do they approach those types of situations where it's not an easy win? How do they reset and pivot to make sure that they're understanding their audience and who they're trying to engage and showing how there's a win for everyone? Other parts, project management skills is huge. Uh, I think in any type of role, in any type of industry, knowing how to tackle work <laughs> and work with different um, stakeholders and stakeholder engagement and communication and change management, all of those are really key important skill sets to have. And I think that it's an area where, especially with change and especially what's happened in these past almost going on two years now, Change management, I think, is also another silent thing where people are really starting to realize we really should be taking a closer look at change management in terms of how there's, there's different stages and different ways to really engage employees, engage people overall with any type of adverse change, whether it's good or bad. Um, and I think those are the type of skill sets that me personally, that I like to look into. So you gave us a great list. I heard critical thinking, problem solving, flexibility, negotiation, project management, communication, change management and resilience, stakeholder management. If somebody that's listening to this is thinking, you know, I've got some of those, 
And I think B of A might be a really good fit for me because I want to be in a place where there are so many opportunities and I want to be in a place where I can get involved, not just in my day job, but also make a difference for my coworkers. What's the best next step for them in terms of exploring job opportunities at Bank of America? I think first and foremost, uh, LinkedIn, you talked about it earlier in terms of that's how we got connected. LinkedIn is a great source in terms of seeing the content that's put out there about Bank of America. Looking at if you know what type of area that you're trying to get into or you know what kind of things, skill sets that you have that you want to find that other people have, using that search field, going typing in Bank of America, going to the people section, typing in those keywords and seeing who pops up and reach out to them. Um, is everybody going to respond? No, but you don't need everybody to respond. You just need someone to respond because all you need is one. Um, yes, we would like more than one, but all you need is one to get you started. And that's a great way to one, learn more about the company and to learn more about the roles. Because as I said before, there's some things where you think that you know what it is and it's actually not the case at all. So actually speaking with people that work in those type of roles that you're interested in will really help you um, in terms of figuring out where you fit as well as engaging with people to hopefully get you that next role. I think that's fantastic. I expected you to say, go to our careers page. And what you gave me was so much better than that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Because <laughs> I'm all I'm all about working your network. And I want to remind folks listening to this that the time to build your network is not when you need it. It's right this minute. Um, having a conversation, having exploratory conversations now with the target companies that you'd like to work for someday is a much better bet then finding yourself in need of employment tomorrow and then starting that process. I completely agree. And then also to your point, since hopefully you're starting early, that you're making sure that when you're connecting with someone, you're connecting with someone and offering something that is not just a take situation. You want for it to go both ways in terms of really having a reciprocal relationship, because I think that will um, go much further. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be something extravagant, right? You don't have to offer them, um, you know, time on your private yacht or <laughs> anything like that. Right. But sometimes it's just like, Hey, I saw this article and it made me think of, of you and, you know, is this relevant to the work that you're doing right now? Or is this something that would be interesting to you? There's an event going on, uh, come be a guest on my podcast, wink, wink, right? <laughs> There's all <laughs> kinds of ways that you can make those connections without just walking up to somebody with your hand out and waiting for them to give you something. Yes, and, and I think it's also good that the more that you are out there in terms of listening to podcasts like yours or listening to webinars that's put out there and someone piques your interest reach out to them. Hey, I heard you on the podcast and you said X, Y, and Z, and that was really great. And I really would like to learn more, you know, because then it shows that, okay, you did a little homework and you just didn't randomly reach out to me, which is fine. Cold calling works. Warm calling also works, you know, but it also helps to just add that extra little layer of helping to get the person like, okay, this person actually took an extra step. Um, let me actually respond to them, you know, take 15 minutes on my calendar to have a little coffee or tea chat. 
I think that's perfect. Monica, I want to thank you for being so brave to come on your very first podcast interview. I want to tell you you did a fantastic job and I would have you back any day of the week. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed talking with you. And I've already been thinking, like, oh, I could have talked about so much more and shared with the audience all these different things. So uh, it really got me excited in terms of what's next, in terms of what else can I share? So I Oh, that's awesome. That. Well, I'll be following you on LinkedIn and I'll look for all your posts about all the stuff that you want to share with us. And, um, you know, if there's a chance for you to come back and tell us more, we would love to have you. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me, Amy. Wasn't Monica fun? What I love about this interview is how she was able to take a degree completely unrelated to the work that she's doing and really pick out the parts of herself and the parts of her job that were a good fit and keep moving forward in that path of what was right for her as opposed to what did the job description say or, you know, what was the the expected path for her. I always find stories like that incredible, but I also find them not incredible, like unbelievable, but incredible, like, wow. Um, But also so instructive because so many times when we're young in our careers, we think there's one path forward and that path is obvious. And typically it's only in retrospect that our path makes any sense at all. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And hey, you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. You might be looking at your app thinking, hmm, Amy, there are only five stars there. Okay, give us all those stars. But then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the episode, the guest, or the series. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It To Be It is brought to you in part by Lead At Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations win the competition for talent and customers for the long term. Lead at any level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It To Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.